We'll be worshipping a bit more later on. Going to read from Matthew's Gospel if you want to follow um, the reading. And uh, we're reading from chapter 16, verse 13, uh, through to chapter 17, verse 13. And just looking at um, the, what's um, called the transfiguration um, of Jesus. Um, Alpha started again this week. Uh, which is uh, always a joy. Um, we, I, I, I haven't kind of worked out this um, to the nth degree, but I think we're in the mid-40s of Alpha courses that we've run uh, in the last 20 years. And it's just always a joy to see people come through that door. And, uh, um, and we're praying that those guests that have come on this course will encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the first talk on the Alpha Course, as you may well know, is who is Jesus? And so we don't start, is there a God? And uh, you go from that basis, we we start with Jesus. And just uh, this week, just to hear someone on my table, um, just realize, as if for the first time, that Jesus is God. And understandably, brought up in, in, in a churched environment, um, but always thought it was God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And, and just to then realize, no, actually, it's God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And to hear her say that she wants a relationship with Jesus is fantastic. So, we're going to read this uh, passage together. Well, I'm going to read it to you, but you can follow it. So, from... Chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, Never, Lord! He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind in mind, the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Well, what, can give in, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, get up. He said, don't be afraid. Then they looked up and they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. And in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Should we just pray? Lord, we love to read your word together. We thank you for the privilege of having your word in our hands. And uh, just as we look at this part of your scripture, we pray that as we do, you would fill us with awe and wonder once again who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm told that science teachers never tire of the moment when the child first looks through a microscope. I was never really heavily into science at school. I was never really heavily into school, to be honest. Um, but I do remember that first moment when I looked through a microscope because it just opens up another world, another dimension. And what until then may have seemed like a boring speck of dirt can open up a new world of life and pattern and color and interest. Just that glimpse into another dimension. Or a telescope. I've never been privileged to look through one of those super-duper telescopes. It's just looking up at the night sky in Camden sometimes. It's just breathtaking. But to look through a telescope and see the detail there uh, would fill us with awe and wonder. 
Or when those times when you see a, a, a program about your, your favorite sitcom and they've gone behind the scenes and they show that shot of them performing and the, you see all the cameras and the audience behind and you have that glimpse of what's really going on behind the scenes. And in a tiny, tiny, tiny way, this amazing passage of Scripture, this amazing uh, moment when Peter and James and John go onto that mountain with Jesus, they catch a glimpse behind the scenes of what's going on. What's it really all about and who Jesus really, really is. This story that's called the Transfiguration, we're not quite sure where it actually happened. Some would think it's near Mount Hermon on one of the peaks there because Mount Hermon's not far from Caesarea Philippi and it follows on from that passage where Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am, up in uh, the north? Others think it's near Galilee, Mount Tabor. And those of you who have gone um, out to Israel may have had the privilege of going up by taxi well, round and round up to the top of Mount Tabor. And uh, I do remember Helen particularly having an amazing encounter with the Lord Jesus on that mountain. So Matthew, Mark and Luke all include this amazing account, this mountaintop experience. John doesn't include it. Um, not this specific story, but he declares again and again in his gospel that in Jesus we have seen the glory of God. We read those verses from the beginning of John's gospel. The word became flesh and we have seen his glory. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And again, John in his gospel in chapter 17, quoting Jesus, talking with his father and Jesus saying, Father, now glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. Be wonderful to have a glimpse of that dimension. The glory of Jesus before the world began. Because I meet people, some people who imagine that Jesus just arrived in Bethlehem. Now he was there from the very beginning with the Father and the Holy Spirit and the glory of heaven. Paul says of Jesus in Philippians that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Being made in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. So this transfiguration, and I guess I was drawn to it because in our morning services, those of you who come to Chipping Camden in the morning, we've been going through the book of Exodus and, and we've been just dwelling for the last few weeks on the glory of God as Moses encounters the glory of God up on a mountaintop, Mount Sinai. And... Throughout the New Testament, it is clear that the disciples and those who follow Jesus are saying, Jesus is the glory of God. He's the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being. This is God in the flesh walking on this earth. 
This passage, this encounter is unique uh, in the sense that it is one of the only two times when the father speaks audibly about his son. The other time is at his baptism where he says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And then he repeats that in this encounter when they hear the father's voice saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And it adds, listen to him. This visible transformation of Jesus, transfiguration, glorification, whatever words you want to use, is unique in the sense that even in his resurrection appearances, he didn't appear like that. His resurrection appearances, he could walk straight through walls. He could appear in the upper room where the doors were locked and everything was, and the, and the disciples were in fear, and he would just appear amongst them and he would show them his hands and his side. But this is a different encounter with Jesus. I guess it more reminds us of John's vision of Jesus in Revelation, where he gets that glimpse into heaven. He says, I saw someone like a son of man, and his hair was white like wool, and his eyes were like blazing fire, and his feet like bronze glowing in a furnace, and the sound of his voice was like the sound of thundering waters. Jesus. King Jesus. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever. It's all about Jesus. Why do we start Alpha with who Jesus is? Because if you want to know who God is, you see him in Christ Jesus. And this amazing event happens just a few days, six days, says Matthew. Luke, I think, says it's eight days, but we don't know for sure. And that's why I wanted to read it, because it, it follows on from Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi, that place of pagan worship where Pan was worshipped, all the pagan gods. There were temples to the pagan gods, and Jesus takes his disciples up there, and he asks them, who do you think I am? And in the midst of all that pagan worship environment, they recognize, Peter recognizes, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus says of Peter, well, that's a revelation. You didn't come that by yourself. You didn't get there on your own. It's a revelation from my Father. And then I deliberately read on because it's sometimes an encouragement to us to see how Peter gets it so right and then gets it so wrong quite quickly. Where he takes, isn't that amazing when you read that? He takes Jesus aside. No, because Jesus begins to reveal to them that actually he's going to die. He is going to go to Jerusalem. He will be arrested. He will be mistreated and crucified and then rise from the dead. And Peter says, no, no, that's not going to happen to you. And, and Jesus is really strong with Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have the mind of God. 
You're a stumbling block to me. And then those words where Jesus says, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And sometimes we're a bit puzzled by that because does it mean the end times when Jesus comes with the glory of heaven and, and he makes the heavens and earth new again and he, and he calls to himself all those who are his. That we believe it to mean that his kingdom coming through his death and resurrection and ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit which we'll celebrate at the end of this coming week as we celebrate Pentecost and the beginning of the worldwide mission of the church. And it's in that context of those events that Jesus takes Peter and James and John up on this mountain. We don't know why he took them and we don't know why he just took the three and we don't know if he knew what was going to happen but he takes them up the mountain. And we're just told in the Gospels that Jesus was transfigured before them, was transformed before them. His appearance changed. His face shone like the sun. And today, the sun shone. And did you look into the sun? You can't, can you? And Jesus' face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as light. And not only that, as they see Jesus transform before them, appearing with him and Moses and Elijah, and they're appearing to just talk with Jesus. How they knew there were Moses and Elijah, I have no idea whether they had name badges or whatever, or whether, you know, they were well-known figures of what they looked like. And both Moses and Elijah, who themselves had mountaintop experiences with God. Moses on Mount Sinai, encountering the glory of God. Speaking with God as one who speaks to a friend face to face. And Elijah, that amazing prophet of God on Mount Horeb, who encounters God and, and God says, there's, you know, the earthquake and he's not in the earthquake and he's not in the fire and, and then there's a whisper. And then we have that comic moment certainly comic to me in the sense where Peter just it doesn't know what to say but he thinks it'll be a good idea to build three tents one for each of them and whether he's thinking in his mind that, that God dwelt amongst the people in those early days in the tabernacle and the tent and he wants to keep that moment we're not exactly sure and then that's not it a bright cloud covers them. And there's a, a reference to those times when God came in a cloud amongst the people of God. And then there's that voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And the disciples, Peter, James, and John, were overjoyed, weren't they? No, they weren't overjoyed. They were terrified. 
terrified. And Jesus, in the way that he does, just so loving, so caring, comes and touches them and says, get up. Don't be afraid. And they look up and Moses and Elijah are gone. And it's only Jesus left. And Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Not until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And if you could see the look on the disciples' faces, I can't imagine what they were. I went through all the commentaries I had on this. And I just resonated with one who said, to fathom the transfiguration requires more than words. It actually requires a new heart. You're never going to understand what happened in that moment, intellectually and, and logically and whatever. You're only going to understand it in your heart. It requires a new heart. This was that glimpse into the other dimension, the behind the scenes peak, to see a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. And so important, that seal upon Jesus' mission at his baptism and now as he sets his face toward Jerusalem, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And what did Moses and Elijah talk with Jesus about? Matthew doesn't record it, but Luke does in the briefest of detail. They, they talked about Jesus' departure. That's what Luke says. And the word that Luke uses is the word exodus. Which is not the normal use of the word departure. Exodus. They talked about Jesus' exodus. Jesus, the savior of the world, who would lead all of God's people out of the slavery of sin and death and lead them home to the promised land of his glorious kingdom, that new creation. Moses and Elijah, such important figures in the Old Testament. And Jesus fulfills them all. Moses, who brought the law, Jesus fulfills the law. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, Jesus, the greatest prophet of all. God himself in the flesh. We can't understand this but we're revealed something about Jesus. Something amazing about Jesus. And one day, we're told by John that we will see him as he is, face to face. Wow. It's our destiny. And then they come down the mountain. If you were to follow on the reading, Jesus heads towards Jerusalem, but they immediately encounter a demon-possessed boy, and the crowds are saying, we asked your disciples to heal him, but they couldn't. And Jesus 
a little bit exasperated, says, how long will I put up with you? And in this world of so much pain and suffering, and in this world where there are so many who are choosing not to trust in Jesus, Jesus will send his church in his name. And as he sets his face towards Jerusalem, as he goes towards that time where he will give his life as a sacrifice for this world, Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, our God, our Savior, and our King, he will lay down his life. And as he says to his disciples, he will be raised again, but they don't understand it yet. They, don't, they won't get it just yet. They'll get it much later on. And then one day he's going to return in all that heavenly splendor and make all things new. We have come here tonight to meet with one another. Yeah, of course we have. But we've come primarily to meet with Jesus. And the wonder of it all is that in our worship and in our gathering and in our prayer and in our drawing near, we can encounter him. There are times when I know in my own heart I've come to worship to receive from him. And I always do. There's never a time when I leave a, a, a time when we've gathered to worship God that I've never received from him because he just lavishes his love and his grace afresh and afresh. But tonight, I would just like us to spend some time just giving to him of worship. Just giving to him and abandoning ourselves. And maybe just releasing some of the things that hold us a little bit back. That we might see Jesus afresh. This passage as the commentator says, is not fathomed with words, but with a new heart. And so let's worship him who loves us and has freed us from our sins and by his blood has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Edward, would you lead us?